Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Lit Up. On this week's podcast episode, we have Jamie Attenberg to talk about her most recent novel, All This Could Be Yours. Now, I always love talking to Jamie. I think she's the author that we've had on the podcast most. This is her third go. And usually I think I cry in some way. Um, So hopefully I'll keep it together for this episode. Thanks so much for joining in and let me know what you think afterwards. Good morning, Jamie Attenberg. Thank you for being on Lit Up. Good morning. This is your third time. You're the author we've had on most. Do I get a prize? I should have thought of that earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But we're in Dumbo and I know you used to live around here. I lived in Williamsburg. Williamsburg. Yeah, but not too far from here, like a 10 minute bike ride from here. And now you're living in New Orleans and the book is based, uh, based there. How does it feel to be back? Um... Well, I mean, I've come back since I moved down there. I come back every so you know, a couple times a year. Um, but it's always exciting to be back when you're launching the book. It feels like the whole city is yours. You're running around looking at things. The city has changed a lot. Like I was near Hudson Yards. Oh, I haven't been there The other yet. day. Oh, it's like, you just feel like, oh, wow, this is Gotham. Like those buildings are very, very tall. And now you can't see to New Jersey anymore which kind of sucks, but um, I don't know. It's always fun. I like to see all my friends. I like to have dinners, stuff like that. It's it's just, I get sticker shock though when I come here because it's so, everything's like a million dollars. I mean, it's really, really expensive here. And, um, but then walking's for free. That's right. Mm, it's nice. I walked a lot the other day. It was great. I also feel it's one of those days outside that is like cyclonic, the winds and everything. So I don't know if it'll make us a little crazy or not. Mm. We can just funnel it into this. Um, I said to you, Jamie, when you walked in that usually I'll, I cry in (laughs) any interview we've had because the books kind of get to, I guess, my trigger point family. It's always a family struggling with how to be a family. Mm. Um, Why was it so important to jump into one family again this time? You know, I hadn't written, I mean, my last book was, there was family dynamics in it, but, um, and all my books have family dynamics, but I hadn't like had a family as the core of a book since the middle state. So it'd been like seven years. If I wrote it every time, it would be, it wouldn't work, you know, if I had family drama every time. Um, But I I guess it was time to revisit. I, I have sort of been thinking about this after the fact that I was writing about the Middlesteens during the Obama era, and this is sort of my Trump era family narrative. Like I felt, and families are incredible um, structure or device for talking about America because you can have all kinds of people in those families and they all interact, but they all are sort of forced to deal with each other, you know? (laughs) And Victor, the patriarch of this family, who everyone... um, 
you know, there's, there's always someone in the family who holds the, the power mm. and there's kind of all these structures that always seem to kind of emanate from them. We, I think it's okay to say he's a pretty awful human mm. being. Yeah. I feel reading it, I thought about Trump and I did think I was like, oh, my God, Jamie's gone there and she's <laughs> centering it around this malignant person. How did you decide to make it about a bad man but make and make everyone else kind of reacting to him? So I will say this, that I actually think that it's not about a bad man. I think that he is in there, but it's yeah. actually about his family. Mm-hmm. That the re- I mean, I feel comfortable giving this away because it happens in the first two pages. He has a heart attack and the book is really about um, he's going to die. You know he's going to die. He's, on, he's clearly on his deathbed. And um, I... I chose to sort of give you two seconds inside his brain, and then the rest of the book is really set in the brains of his family members. So technically, he's the center of the book, but he's also like a withering body. Mm. <laughs> so that's like you know that's my wish for this, and that's pleasing for this person. Yeah, there was a lot of pleasing things to me in this book about about how I dealt with him. Um, so I I was interested in what. Um, less like the damage that he did and more about how the damage impacts people. So this is like an interrogation of the patriarchy, really, um, but also like the, um, the fan, you know, how people deal with it and, and, and the kind of impact it has. So it's also an interrogation, interrogation of, of how women can be complicit in it too. Well, and that's just it. So Victor's wife, Barbara, for me, the, the relationship that struck home most was between Barbara and Alex, her daughter. Mm. Um, and Alex, the daughter, is so... Um, she thinks finally she'll get the truth. Like mm-hmm. once her dad is gone, her mother had kind of withheld the family secrets so much and that maybe now she'll get answers. Why was that so important? Well, okay, I'll say a couple of things. Um, first of all, I love a mother-daughter relationships and I could write about mothers and daughters talking forever. Um, I get a kick out of my mom. Uh, My mom is nothing like any of the mothers that I write about, but I enjoy talking to my mother. So I think that that's like an easy thing for me to write about. And um, I guess part of it was that I think it's that she wanted to know the secrets, but that the secrets in a way don't matter. Like, I don't think we really want to know our family secrets. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you really knew, if, if everything that you learned about Barbara and Victor's relationship in the book and they were your parents, how would that really make you feel? We're, we're not, we're trying so hard not to give things away in this conversation. But um, so I think it's, I was just kind of interested in like finding out the family secrets, but not really revealing it to that, to them, but letting the reader know what they were and letting them judge from there. The two siblings have a conversation about what, how worthwhile the truth is to know and why was Gary so right really in saying how will this truth um help your forgiveness yeah I don't know if it if it does or if it doesn't um I mean I think the point is that we have to stop like it just at a certain point we just have to be adults and happy and healthy and move on and treat people well and do the right thing and so you can only kind of blame your parents for so long and then you have to take whatever steps you need to take to to move on. So she has a, you know, Alex, the daughter, has moments where she's engaging with this 
dead, dying father and talking talking to him and sort of spilling her guts and her frustrations with him. And I don't, you know, I don't think in the moment it really makes her feel any better to do that. Um, but she, but maybe like 10 years from now, she might look back and be happy that she said that, you know, said all those things. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that what, that, that there are other things that matter more, I think. Like that there are, that how we are is more important, how we behave and how we treat people is more important than like contending necessarily with the past. That's how I feel. I'm a move on kind of gal. Well, and that's <laughs> definitely how Barbara sees the world, who's yeah. the, the wife in this. And I mean, she has to wrestle with having been the keeper of secrets and how that has affected her children. Mm. What but ha- she's like a sociopath. I'm not a sociopath. No, I'm not suggesting <laughs> she's you're kind similar. of. A, I mean, she's not a sociopath, but she's kind of, she's got some sociopathic tendencies. I think, like, I don't like Barbara very much. I didn't. I didn't feel that about you her. her. I definitely felt she was withdrawn. But I thought she. Well, actually, the way she allows and wants to be with someone who is potentially dangerous is quite odd Mm. being drawn to that Mm -hmm. but isn't it weird like when you read family stories and you even talk to your friends and you see who they're then attracted to and you think oh my gosh what what happened to them that makes them mm-hmm. attracted to these types of people. So that, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's like, it's, a, it's interesting because I really don't think that like, in a way it doesn't matter what I think about the book because everyone's going to like read it mm. however they're going to read it. And it's cre- I, the way that I write, I'm very strategic about it that I create like really kind of flexible books. Like there's, there's minimalist in certain places. There's um, the characters have different, have all these different access points. So people feel differently about the characters than I feel about the characters. And I've also learned after seven books that like it is that people are going to take from it whatever they want to. It just doesn't matter what I, it really doesn't matter what I think. Like yeah. I can talk to you about this forever, but it, it really doesn't <laughs> matter because I have people will, who have read this book who are like, oh, I'm, I'm this character, I'm that character. Like, and I'm like, no, but you don't think that they're like bad or you don't see their flaws or like, it doesn't matter. Like I am them and I, I feel them. So that to me is successful. I'm being successful as an author, but I don't think anyone's ever going to take from it. I mean, no one's in my brain really, you know, it's, so it's more about creating something. I create the book that, and the story that I want to tell, and I have that experience and it's intimate and it's for me. And, but I know that when it goes out in the world, it's not mine anymore. And so I just let it, I just let it go. So we could, I, I'm happy to talk about these characters, but I also like, can't, I like want people to read it and like, deal with it like deal with their shit I guess reading novels <laughs> is just it's a, a huge exercise in projection it is it is I mean reviewers are reviewers are can be really smart and they um but there there's no way I know because I've read book I've reviewed books like there's no way to review a book without bringing your own game to it your own stuff to it so I mean I, I'm this is actually like not me being cynical about writing or books or publishing at all. It's like, it's almost like truly optimistic, like, like let it go and be out in the world and like, like let people be with it, you know? But, um, but I am, I always, am like, I'm, ha- I'm happy to talk about it, but I really, it really doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> like it really doesn't, it doesn't, um, I do learn things from it though, mm. from writing the books, but 
Um, but I really, I didn't really like Barbara. Anyway, going back, I didn't really like Barbara. <laughs> I didn't like her either, but I wondered how to deal with women like her. Like I know women like of her. Of course, yeah. Of course, like we all will yeah. when we read it. So how do we cope with a woman we love who won't leave a man and who protects that relationship more than yes. she might protect her children? Right. And what is it that she gets out of it? And I, I mean, I would say part of what she gets out of it is that she likes her shiny objects. So um, that was part of like my, what I uncovered as I was writing this book was like that I sort of kept coming back to her th things, you know, her possessions um, and that, that sort of give her comfort when humans can't really give her that comfort. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, um, I mean, this is definitely like a post-election novel where we had, you know, 51% of white women voting for Donald Trump. And I'm like, all right, ladies, why are we voting for this person who is terrible? <laughs> like, why are we, you know, what's going on in our, in our worlds? So, I, I mean, I did not vote for him, obviously, but like, that's what I was interested. That was like, a, I mean, I didn't start the book thinking that's what it, the question was, but that question has been in my mind forever. So don't you think a big part of it is that when women don't earn enough money to be financially independent and they rely on mm. that man and they're within that structure, I feel like that's when they vote along their husband's lines or they kind of um, like the patriarchy is so embedded in their well-being. That's that right. That's why. Yeah. There's so, yeah. I mean, there's lots of reasons yeah, there's why. Lots of reasons. There's so many reasons why we can't even begin to, um, we, we could start to make a list today, but we would not finish anytime soon. But, um, but it was, and also like, I, I mean, there's, yeah, there were some, there's a million books that I could write out of it. And I just had to choose this one and think about it and think about it in that way. Um, but you know, I didn't really start the, I just need to be really clear that I didn't really start this book thinking, oh, I'm going to write about this political viewpoint. It's more that it is mine. And I think that any writer is just carrying their politics and their, and their many other things with them and their work. So even if you just say, I'm not, I'm going to write something that's completely removed from it, it still always filters its way in here and there, little places. But for me, like I can't, um, I really can't write a book unless I have characters. So this is primarily a book about these characters and it's me kind of gossiping about these characters and um, just kind of seeing what pops up and, and trying to understand their motive, their motivation. So that's the prime, that's always primary because if I try to write a book that was like, if I made a list of like political, yeah. you know, like it wouldn't work. Like I, you would be just be too kind of too heavy handed about it. So um, I feel like I've even just given away too much just now, like about like what my intentions were for the book, but I feel like your listening audience can handle it. Oh, they can definitely handle like, it. but I, and it creeps up on you when you're reading the book. It's so interesting. It's because you do these snapshots of characters and it's you're so in their head and it kind of jumps from one to the other. They just become this ensemble. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this was what she was doing. <laughs> but I'm wondering, yes, you live in New Orleans now. Was setting it there, did that change who this family was in particular? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I really, you know, there were two things going on, which is one, I had these characters in my head and two, I really wanted to set a book in New Orleans, but I didn't know how to do it. And so they, the way that it worked was that they were all outsiders and, um, or for them, or had moved at least post Katrina. Um, and, uh, I just, I thought that's the best way that I can approach this book as somebody who's new into like, I've lived there for four years. So I, I was really wary, scared, scared and intimidated to write about, write about that city. I mean, I could write about, you know, New York city, I lived here for 18 years. I don't have to think twice about it, but New Orleans is different because, um, because it's really small. It's very, it's everyone who lives there feels very protective of it for myriad reasons. And there's just a, such a rich sense of history and it's just a really special place and, a, and also like a really flawed place and complicated place. So I don't mean to, I don't want to idealize it, but I love it there and I wanted to do a good job. And so I sort of had to wait and figure out how I could get in. And then these characters showed up on, you know, the sixth chapter of the book was for a very long time. The first chapter of the book, which is two women sitting on the roof of a hotel at a hotel, like at a pool, having a cocktail and kind of talk, gossiping about their family. And that was the beginning of the book for me. And I thought, oh, I can write about it here, here. I can write it. I can start it here and go from, and go from there. And I knew what the stakes were right away. And, um, and then as I wrote the book, like New Orleans characters, native New Orleans characters sort of started popping up and really insisting that they be heard. So even though I was scared to write about them, I like just let them speak and, um, and then it really added to the richness and the texture of the book. And they were really important. They became a really important part of it. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but they're, they're important too, um, obviously. So it was like me figuring out my relationship with the city and me figuring out how to write about the city and just letting things be really organic and kind of trusting my, trusting my instincts and giving myself permission to write it finally, because I don't know, I was waiting for someone to do it and no one ever gives you permission to do anything really creative in your life or lots of things, but definitely not to write a book. There's no one who says, gives you, you know, touches you in the head with a magic wand and says, now you shall write a book. <laughs> you have to be you have to touch yourself. Ooh, that sounded weird. <laughs> that <laughs> With a magic great. wand. Oh no, that even sounds worse. <laughs> that, that'll be the perfect quote. <laughs> I just thought it was, fu I mean, it was funny to me that this couple who are retiring almost pick New Orleans, even though they have zero connection to the all the things that you think you might move there for, like the culture and the heritage and the soulfulness of a place. But instead, which I think even felt familiar to me in the way that people just choose a place and don't really partake in it. It could be anywhere. I mean, it was kind of a trick for me because I, it would have been really easy to write a book that, that, I mean, it is a love letter to New Orleans in a lot of ways, but, um, but also like a, at certain points or critique of New Orleans, it would have been easy for me to just have somebody move down there that loved it and then looked at it through starry eyes and like appreciate everything about it. But it was more interesting, I think, and and thus became less cliched to like talk about typical New Orleans experiences through the eyes of Barbara, who really could care less about the New Orleans experiences and really looks at it with a gimlet, kind of a gimlet eye. Like she goes to Audubon Park, which is like a beautiful park with these like, you know, oaks that are like, you know, 
hundreds of years old and it's really well maintained. It's like a, it's, a, it's like one of the pride and joys of New Orleans. And she's just like, it's really hot out. <laughs> like I'm wearing the wrong shoes. I don't like these animals. Like she's just not into it at all. And like, that's, I love that park, but if I had written it just straight up, like it's the most gorgeous place in the world, then I don't, that, that's not, that's a travel piece. That's not a novel. Another thing that made me smile is that Barbara is always trying to get her 10,000 steps in a day. Uh, yes. Do you I, have friends like this? I identify with it. I will say that. Um, I I mean, I have friends who like are over the top step step people. I am like a 10,000. She's like a 20,000. Like she's like, I want to like walk forever, um, but in circles, right? Like there's... I don't think I'm giving anything away. Like she, like a, a lot of her story is just her walking in circles around the hospital floor, like not wanting to go like, so she's, but she's just getting her steps in. Um, I just picture her like um, checking her little step tracker. What do they call it? Oh, Fitbits on her, on her arm, like the entire book um, rather than dealing with reality. Of course I do. I have um, family members who are like that. Um, I have, uh, I, I also make sure that I get, I mean, it's everyone does it, I think. I feel like everyone's aware of their steps or lots of people are aware of their lots steps. Lots of people are. Well, I became more aware of it because I went for a walk around Prospect Park with a friend on the weekend and I had a little pouch Yeah. and I said to her, I said, I'll put your phone in here so you don't have to carry it. And she goes, no, you don't. No, you won't. She goes, your steps will be different than mine. And yeah. I said, whoa. I mean, we were laughing and she knew she was being crazy. She goes, I said, what, my steps aren't as good as yours? And she goes, that's right. And I, and I was trying to do it in my head. I said, but if we're together, Isn't the same, won't it but- be the same? She couldn't give up control of it. I mean, I don't think I would go that far, but I, um, I do feel better knowing that I have hit my step count. And I feel like it's just, it's so much a way of just controlling, controlling your world. And she, that's like the way that she can do it. She like loves, she loves it. It felt very, uh, I was, it feels very American to me. And I feel like I'm such an American writer and I'm like so interested in the banalities of American life and step counts are like, I have a whole chapter that's set in a CVS and I'm like just fascinated with it. I have like some friends who, I have some like friends who are like very sophisticated. And, um, the other day I was talking about how, and the, I, and they don't spend the summers in New Orleans and the summers in New Orleans are very, very hot. So you have to figure out things to do there, um, that get you out of the house that are air conditioned. That is like not necessarily going to a bar, which is usually what people are doing in the summer, but this summer I wasn't drinking. So I was like, I need to find other things. So I go to the mall also a good place to get your steps. And so I'm like basically a senior citizen lady <laughs> at the age of 47 years old. But, but I do go to the mall and I like look at, like we finally got a Zara. Like we haven't, I've never had a Zara. And so it just, Zara feels like the most glamorous place in the world in New Orleans. But anyway, they were like making fun of me for hanging out at the mall. And I said, oh no, but that's my milieu. Like that's exactly where I like hang out and eavesdrop and look at people. And I'm from like small suburb town in the Midwest. And that's all I did growing up was go to malls. So I feel, I feel like step counting your steps, going to the CVS, stuff like that. Like that's the, that's when you have like big, you can have really big moments in like these tiny little American ways. I feel pharmacies are very prompting for a lot you know, when you walk in to get one thing 
And then you think, why don't I just mm-hmm. skim the aisles? Mm-hmm. And then you and got three tooth whiteners going on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's really. And I worked in a pharmacy also when I was a kid. And the middle scenes, I have a character who's a, pharma- a pharmacist. So, I mean, I just, I, you don't even need to do very much to come up with a lot in, in writing. As I'm always like, whenever people are like, how do you come up with ideas? I'm like, how do I turn them off? Really? I have so many ideas. There's one part in the book that I want to read um, because I felt like it just definitely put into words so many things I have felt. I mean, I guess that's what a great book does, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, you get that few those few paragraphs and you go, that's what I meant my whole <laughs> life. Yes. So I'll read it. It's when Alex is talking to her dad um, on his deathbed. You know, he's semi-conscious and she's regaling all the things that she's angry you know, angry at him for. And it was, you were constantly noticing the way women, all women looked. And that forced me to contemplate the way I looked. In general, your sexualization of the female form was dangerous enough that I have withheld my own daughter from your presence as much as possible. Then she goes on to say, which then you were able to make me laugh. And I thought, how did she do that? And now I'm contemplating, you know, the entire male gaze, patriarchy, everything. And then she goes, and then she's thinking, you know, she'd worked through this with a combination of therapy, meditation, the absorption of various feminist texts and two intense workshop retreats in upstate New York. And I thought, yes, exactly. I have. But when you put it like that... It sounds so ridiculous. Yes. Well, I mean, it was, I did make myself laugh with that too. I mean, Alex is like, you know, here's what I would say is that we all have internalized it and we work really hard to get it out of our system, but it doesn't 100% work all the time. And we have to just always keep being diligent about fighting it. But it's also like not our fault (laughs) that it's in us because it's how we were raised. And not everyone is raised. I was thinking about how my actually the um, the middle stains is actually like a a, like a matriarchy because the mother is so strong in that book in a way. And this book is definitely about the patriarchy. And I think I feel almost like I was fooling myself with that book, thinking that thinking of like a more perfect vision of the world. And I feel like. This book is is maybe, it's a little, I don't want to say it's, I'm not sad, <laughs> but it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit more realistic perhaps about the way that the, the way that the world works and, um, or the way that the world works now. But also it's like, can't we just be there already? Do you know, like, can we just get to the next place? And I think we can. I really do. I'm very optimistic about the way kids are getting raised right now. Like it feels really good. There's so many. There's so more. There's so many more opportunities to be yourself now, as a kid, than there were when I was growing up. I feel like definitely, and I think we're finally calling out that kind of predatory gaze of yeah how men and women weren't their value was on how hot they were or beautiful they were or how much they smiled and made men feel good. I feel like we're trying to drop that. 
I, I know. And then also, but I also remember, and this is not a criticism of yeah. my, my mother because she's a wonderful person who raised me to be a writer and always told me I could do anything that I wanted to do. It definitely raised me to be a feminist, but I also know, like I have recollections of her judging people, whether she knew she was doing it or not, you know, or other family members of mine sort of assessing people and not not necessarily like super harsh harshly or anything like that, but it's just something that you, when you see it as a child, it just gets in there. It just kind of gets in there. So, but again, with this book, it's like, even if you knew exactly where all, why you were the way you were, right. And you had all these things going on in you, like how, what is it ultimately, like, what does it do for you? And how much do you need to know really in order to get to the next place in your life? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I try. I'm trying. Everyone's trying. You're trying, right? But it's um but we just kind of can't linger in the past. That's it. I remember speaking to Olivia Lang, mm. Lang about um Crudo and her other books and she was so interesting because she grew up with two uh like her mum was with a woman for most of her childhood. And so she doesn't know at the male gaze. She said she never Amazing. felt it. Yeah. Because her role models were these two women. But she didn't experience it in the world. I think she understood it, but she said that she really felt it hadn't in, been internalized in her. So I guess she yes, okay. maybe had developed to a point and then started to notice it. Yeah. But it wasn't the way she looked at the world. Um, which I just thought, how freeing and but fabulous. I think we, I know, like, can we get? How do we, how do we get there? And I think we can. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. I'm, I'm pretty good. I feel like I see, like it's. I mean, it just seems translucent to me. I can see it, and then there's just moments here and there where, like, like the fact that I spent, like, I've been shopping for my book tour. Mostly, you know, you want to look good for your female friends, so that that's good. That's like a good step forward. I think most women actually kind of dress for the for the other women in their lives. But, um, but like I lost weight for tour. Cause I was like, I can't really do, I can't, everyone takes pictures of you and then you like get the wrong angle and then you like, they tag you on Instagram and you feel terrible about yourself. And, um, somebody was telling me about a, a male writer that she knew. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, the way I do it is I just like never look at, at pictures of myself ever online. And it doesn't matter how I look. And I'm like, Who, how nice for you. How nice for you that you can just, it's like just show, kind of rolls up and wears whatever he wants to wear. And I'm like, what is that in me that like wants to make sure I look good in the photos? Is that the male gaze or is it the female gaze or is it vanity or is it liking to look pretty or I don't know. It's, I think about it, but I, but then I'm like, well, all right, I look nice in the photos. That's all right. That's not, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, and sometimes I'm stuck between wanting to not partake in the patriarchy and like looking sexy or everything. And then mm. you think, but can we just, can I have fun? And what does that look like <laughs> to yes, me? Yeah, yeah. It's still, I know. Well, so now I live in New Orleans where it's hot, so hot six months of the year that like whatever game I played with myself in New York City is like gone and over because we're all just like sweating our tits off and we're like wearing the least amount of clothing. And like, I just read that article in the New York Times about shapewear and I was like, 
laughing about the idea of shape. Like I was like, I could not imagine living my life where I would like want to strap something on it and not, I'm not judging people for doing it at all, but just like, it's, I literally am just sweating all the time down there. So like, I just, there's no point in like, also it's just have, it's a much easier, loosier, loosey goosey place. Like it's just like way less, I mean, being in New York, I'm like, wow, everyone is extremely well dressed here and, and their, their look is on, you know, so I had to like, um, I was like, I got to get it together a little bit when I go out in the world. <laughs> but it's interesting too, when you actually have something to do physically to do, like if you're playing sport or it's too hot outside, like if the environment dictates that that is more important than how you look, it's quite a freeing thing, isn't it? Because actually you're doing something that's not about being looked at at all. I don't know. I just walk out my front door there and and really nobody is looking at what I'm wearing. That's it right there. It's like we're all just kind of hanging out. So it's I feel very I feel like a lot easier like easier like my life is definitely a lot easier down there than it was up here. For sure. I can't even the roads are so bad and the sidewalks are so bad. I could never wear heels. I can't even wear clogs, really. You know, like anything. I can't either, and I've liked. I love the whole <laughs> phenomenon, yeah. but I'll twist my ankle yeah. in a heartbeat, and yeah. then I'm a goner. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know that's the worst if, if you like injure yourself. So, I mean, it's just like, uh, and I know everything kind of got got a little bit easier, but I still, but there's still parts of it in me. There definitely is. I know that there is, but I'm working. I'm working on it, and I. Um, but also, I like you can't really beat yourself up about it either. Like then it's like that double bond thing where yeah. like you're suffering and then you're also mad at yourself for suffering. Yeah. I don't know because it's so fucked up right now. Like I have no idea. Like every day I'm like, are we going to be okay? I don't know. It's really, it's super hard to tell. But I like in my dream world, like we, like I have, I have like a vision for how things could be better. So I feel like if we all work together then, but when you have like an insane person like an actual mentally ill, evil, insane person running around. It's so hard. It's really hard. I'm hoping Elizabeth Warren gets in. Yeah, same. And things will be better. And what a what an incredible woman for other for men and women to look towards. Yes. Sorry. I know. <laughs> okay, so one there was another point in the book that I thought was hysterical and I thought, I wonder if I could use that. I think I actually have. And it's when Gary um, sends a message or says to his sister, I'm sitting this one out. Yes. As in like the whole hospital father potential death experience. Yes. It's almost like, I'm going to sit this barbecue out. You know, I'll, I'll check back in later. You guys have a good time. I mean, I'm not one for... I don't, you know, none of this book is autobiographical yeah. at all. And I'm extremely wary of ever connecting myself with a specific character in my work. But I would have to say that that moment, I am Gary. Like I'm, I've never had it happen, but I feel very Gary in me where I would just be like, you know what? I'm not, I can't, I got other stuff going on. Like I, I'm, he's, he's the person I identify with in a way the most, like he's out there doing his own thing. I really enjoyed that. You could use it. It's I for you. I think I will. <laughs> you can just say, I mean, that is like a very freeing thing to know when you can say no to family. I mean, creating boundaries is really important and um, and just to know that you can. I've been saying no to a couple of things lately and I've felt 
not in my in terms of my family, but just like in my professional life. And I've been like, oh, I can just do that, and no one can make me do anything I don't want to do. It's some you. It takes a long time to learn that, though. Yeah, you can just say no, though, to you, to whoever. I mean, shouldn't you? You know, use it wisely. I started reading a book that I loved called The Courage to Be Disliked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think it's a Japanese philosopher or it's his interpretation of, um, I think it was a psychiatrist that was around when Freud was and they kind of split off and had two schools of thought and one was a bit lost. I can't really remember the ins and outs of it, yeah. but it was pretty much about that, like, you do one thing, you can't control how people will react. But if it, you're doing the right thing for you, yeah. actually it shouldn't matter how they, they have to deal with their own feelings yeah. about it. And I feel like that comes up a lot in the book. Everyone's kind of doing what's right for them almost. Yes, yeah. Many of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, the selfish talk mans. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Except some of them are nicer than others, I guess, or and they do care about their kids. Like this, the second generation of Tuckmans does care about their children and would do anything for their children. I think so. That's good and that's important. Um, yeah, I guess I, I, I think I've gotten that as. I mean, that's not what you're asking, but I feel like I, as I've gotten older, I've gotten m- more. I don't want to say selfish, but like. Um, clear about what I want and, um, and it can justify the choices that I'm making. Like that's the, that's the battle is like owning your, owning your choices more than anything else. They are selfish though, aren't they? I mean, I like, I, I enjoyed writing about them, but they're not, they're not great. (laughs) I don't know. I think so many of your characters, we've had this discussion before that some people come in and say, they are so selfish and this and that. And when I read them, I just see myself in pretty much all of them. Yeah. Hopefully, except Victor. Victor. Although I met someone who said they were Victor the other day. Oh my gosh. A to woman. Admit that. A, a woman. woman. She just, I think, I identified with his anger, like an aggression. Like she was like, I mean, she's, she's intense, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. there. I mean, hopefully there's enough room. Like I said, I'm always like trying to create space in all these places where people can insert themselves into it and like understand. I think that sometimes people don't like characters because they, it it hits them too hard or they, they don't have understand their own truth and they don't want to spend time with them because it sort of forces them to um, deal with themselves. Also, sometimes people like to read books because they just want to be happy and they want to get a good story out of it. And so, um, and they want things to be easy and they, their life is one way and what they want from Mm. a book is something different. And I feel like as no judgment on people who think maybe my books are too dark for them because that's, you know, I, I mean, I don't always want to watch a serious, sad documentary right? There's value to that serious, sad documentary, but sometimes I'm like, man, I don't, I have the tr- it's too much truth, too much truth. Maybe I'll just watch this romantic comedy on the plane instead. And yet still somehow I managed to cry on a plane oh, watching always. the romantic comedy. But so I think it's like, you can't really ask, I mean, you didn't ask me this question, but you know, you can't um, impose people's cultural 
you know, tastes on, on them. They already have it. They already know what they like. I feel a little like Victor is like Logan Roy in Succession. Mm. Have you been watching that? Mm. I, did you watch the finale? Yes. I can't stop thinking about the finale. I'm so obsessed with it. The finale was so good. Oh my God. They did basically, it was a two season arc. Like they totally pulled it off. I'm like, if they do a third season arc, like where it's all together like that, I don't even really feel like, I mean, I'm a huge Sopranos fan, but I don't feel like the Sopranos. I mean, I think this guy who made the show, I think he knows in advance. It's so hard to know in advance that kind of stuff. Like that is a long con that he was pulling on all of us that was like, Amazing. Anyway, yeah, I love I love Logan. He's kind of Logan-ish, but like, um, I don't know. He's got more. Logan's got more money than Victor. Victor feels like a little small time in comparison to Logan. And also, Logan is like, in a way, he's not very American. Um, even though obviously. He has so many, you know, he lives here and everything like that, but he feels like not like 100% American to me, whereas Victor feels really American to me. I don't know. I watched that show for the first time when I was finishing this book and I was like, ah, shit. (laughs) No, I think it's great. I think it's a moment where we're having to reflect on why we allow these types of people to have so much power, whether it's someone like that or whether it's Victor in your book and how the family has a, has given him power, but now they're taking it back. I feel like actually the children have um, been trying to take it back for themselves, not even power, but just acceptance. But here's here's something I would say that's different is that in that show, the gays is all male except for a shiv. And it's really about when we're seeing their world and their perspectives, really most of it is like very masculine. Now they do a great job with women. I'm not saying they don't do a great job with women, but it's like very, And but Logan is very clearly an anti-hero and it's really centered around him and everybody's trying to please him and everything like that. Whereas this book, very deliberately, it's mostly told from a female perspective because I really just am not super interested in the male perspective. I'm just like, I don't, I, we've heard enough. Like we know enough. I mean, that show is great and I would watch yeah, it like yeah. 10 more seasons of it. But like at the same time, like what would that show have looked like if it was all daughters or it was a mother or do you know what I'm saying? But it wouldn't work because it's got to be a critique of that kind of char- that male character. But what would that show have looked like if there was more female and I think I think about it because the show that's after it is that gem, Gemstones TV show, which I've watched a couple episodes of and then stopped watching. And I was like, once again, we got one daughter and a bunch of powerful men at the top. So I, how do we create a universe where we're just looking at the women more, or at least you know more of that? Like I just that's what I want more, and I want to see like if we show that more. Does the world start to, as artists, does the world start to look more like that? Or is it just too, am I just like living in a, like a daydream? But I try to do that. I try to write from the female perspectives as much as possible. It was qu- quite to my surprise that some male perspectives snuck in because originally it was only going to be four, four female perspectives in this book. And then the men showed up and I was like, all right, you can stay. You have something to say. You have a reason to be here. 
but I don't, yeah, that's, it bothers me. That's why I like, you know, Big Little Lies, as flawed as that second season was, I was like, I will watch this because I just want to see it through. What does it look like just through their gaze, just through an all-female gaze? I hope it's changing. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. God. You you are. You're changing (laughs) it by creating, you know, art that is giving us that perspective. I guess I'm trying. I don't know. I just... I ha- I hope I hope so, but it's very hard out there. It's really tough. So, but I I do feel like there are things that happen in this book that are like my vision of like what I what I really want to have happen in the world. There really are, and um and it's but it is a realistic book too. But when I thought about how I wanted things to end and who and who which voices I wanted to be remaining, I was um I just said that's how it's that's I'm gonna write what I want to see in the world. I think that's the perfect place to end. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jamie Attenberg. One of the big takeaways for me was that I love it how she doesn't really care what you think of her characters once she's written them and she's made them hers you know, she lets them out in the world and everyone can have their own opinions. I really connected with the mom and didn't think she was a psychopath. So that's just shows how everyone has a different reading of a character. Um, but go get the book. We had to be careful because there is kind of a, a build and then a, a reveal in the book. So we didn't want to give too much away. But I hoped you loved listening to her regardless. Do let me know at Lit Up Show on Instagram and Twitter. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.